Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode, we chat with Victor Leong from Chuka and Li Ho Fook about his move away from fine dining to embracing his Chinese roots and about the evolution of Chinese food in the Australian dining landscape. Alright, welcome to another episode of the Food Fight Podcast. My name is Steph Postuma. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, joined by partner in crime, Simon Evans, chef and a hospitality guru from Wales. They're getting good. <laughs> to, I, to, I, to start our podcast. When you see these ones. To start our podcast, we'd like to do an acknowledgement of country. So being here in Melbourne, we'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather and speak today and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. All right, let's introduce our guest, Simon. We're here with Victor Leong at Lee Ho Fook here in Melbourne, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good to be here and it's really good to get down here. But um, look, to start with, we were just talking about this before we started the podcast, that we're not going to go into a chef's life story because we do try to avoid that and you've done a bunch of podcasts. You've got another one this Arvo as well, so we're not going to bore you. But how's like... You know, give us a give us a, br- a brief wrap of like how how things are going at the moment. Um, you know, feeling optimistic, feeling tired. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of um, all of that, right? So it's we're we're definitely in that re-emerging stage of you know everything that's happened last year. Um, we've changed our offering here at Leho Folk. Um, you know, moving forward, and it's kind of it's. Yeah, I'm optimistic about, you know, what we can kind of move forward on. And I think um, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, even before the change is how do you, you know, kind of evolve a restaurant? Like mm. what forces you to change, you know, what? And it, it feels like, well, this is the time. Like if it's not going to, you know, get closer to what we are trying to achieve, you know, in the long term, um, then when is it? You know, so I think Definitely. using using this as like a, you know, a reset um, and moving the business and, and the offering forward has been, yeah, it's been quite fun. Okay. Um, was was that something you sort of had in mind or like had on the cards before COVID? Was was like a, a little evolution, a little rethink? Yeah, I think, you know, every every brand, the restaurants, you know, even person goes through a little bit of a change. Um, and I've always wanted to kind of focus what we're trying to you know communicate a little bit um 
even before and with you know i think even sensibilities in myself and and you know the style of food i want to cook and the creativity i want to kind of bring forward it's nice to kind of you know finally just go settle into this this style and go okay mm. this is what we're going to try and explore and then we kind of you know refine refine that and then we you know get an opportunity to present it and now it's you know what you're working on the the project you know it's 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 real time now instead of just kind of conceptually in mm. your head so mm. it's um yeah it's good a lot of fun so i'm tired what, <laughs> yeah what, like so what does it look like like what yeah did you guys change from sort of a la carte to just just tasting or yeah or correct so yeah. we we used to do you have a, a, a wide kind of range of offerings, mm. you know, in, in quite a small restaurant? So downstairs used to be a cocktail bar where you could get some snacks that was different to what's upstairs. And that was, you know, quite an extensive menu of a la carte offerings, you know, mostly shared offerings um, with a banquet for larger tables. Um, just kind of showcase um, a range of, you know, menu items. But yeah, I think um, since reopening last November, we're now doing just a tasting menu, so like mm. a menu degustation. Um, it's eight courses at dinner time and four courses at lunchtime. Mm. Um, and that's just come from, obviously, you know, you have just better control of your costs and, you know, the outgoings yeah. and, you know, you can forecast better. And I didn't have, an, like, I lost almost 50% of my staff. So, you know, you can operate, you know, almost um, a little bit kind of with more focus i mm. guess you know on and we haven't yeah we only open four days a week at the moment yeah, um right. and you know the team's small i've only got a, a core team of seven people yeah you know like down from you know i think up to 18 at peak mm. before yeah. so it's interesting that everyone kind of a lot of people were going away from tasting menus pre-covid and now everyone's kind of going back to them and i think it's just because there is a reason that they work for the restaurant maybe less so for the guests in some ways but for the restaurant it's so much easier to work out what I need to order, how many staff I need, you know, how many we're going to do, you know, you, to the portion. Like, Kavo, we, we had so little waste at Kavo because we just use, we just, you know, order in the right amount and then use it. Mm. <laughs> like, it was yeah, so no, absolutely. waste. And, and also, I think, yeah, it's, it's funny because I think before all of this, it was you were just wanting to have an accessible product that you, people could use in any kind of form. Mm. But then, you know, kind of towards... Like, you'd still be frustrated with the, you know, like the lower head spend or the people that, you know, still would complain about the lack of offering or, mm. you know what I mean? It's like, so you, if, like changing to a, um, a tasting menu format, it gives us the opportunity to, A, tell the story on our terms. Yeah. So you, we go, hey, this is what you, we think you should be eating in this season, you know, in our style for now. And it tells a story completely end-to-end -end. so there isn't like oh hey you know i went to leho fork and the food was really like yeah. really like sweet or really salty or really oily but then it's we left that control to you and you just decided yeah. to order everything from <laughs> the deep fryer it. you know what i mean like don't don't make it my problem yeah um, so now stuff. if you know there's there's um, any kind of feedback on the menu we we really, you know, we, mm. we look at it and go, oh, maybe we did misjudge that or, you know what I mean? Like, mm. um, That's really interesting. And I guess it's something that I hadn't thought about too much. But you see it, like, I mean, there's tasty, there's tasting menus and there's tasting menus. There's eight courses and then you've got your, you know, Noma 25-course geranium, yeah. like mm. crazy things. And, like, that's they, they, a place where you, if you're not conscious of how each course is going to affect the palate of the diner, then... 
you'll you'll drown yeah. and have I'm assuming a lot of bad feedback but at the second the other the other point like you say Victor it's it's a, it's a great opportunity to be able to convey so much more than just food and a good night out through your food like you can you can tell a story and really showcase mm. your identity as a restaurant every step of the way yeah 100% and that's you know and I think um, I probably don't love working like this like i not so, sorry not not working like this i don't really love like cooking like this it's kind of too methodical and too mm. process driven i really do enjoy like just you know kind of cooking a little bit more instinctively mm. but then i really do enjoy working like this you know yeah. when everything's measured and controlled and you know you're everybody's you know kind of it's it's working kind of together as a team delivering yeah. something on time precisely all these things are really appealing to yeah, me yeah i mean down to like the timings you have between mm. dishes and you know yeah. like right i've just sent that for i'll send this one then i'll get there yeah, other thing on like it's, it's not even like your timings are set out for the whole night when you got tasting menu which like consistency and control which a lot of chefs <laughs> yeah we love that but then also I, I, I do miss you know throwing a walk around for two hours yeah, and getting yeah. a sore <laughs> arm and you know what I mean like cooking stuff on the fly mm. which is you know one of the reasons why I think you know they have full kind of settled into you know this kind of creative kind of wacky kooky kind of you know fast paced type yeah. dining restaurants and it's it's interesting to see it evolve into you know what we what we are now so mm. how did how did the customers respond to that change like is it is it is it hard to sort of bring them along from like you say like fast pace what's getting thrown around on the fly a bit more and instinctive to all right w when you come here you are here for the full experience mm. Yeah, look, you know, you're always, you're not going to keep it. You're not going to make anyone happy, like, all the time, right? Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, unfortunately, we have probably, you know, we've lost um, some of the customers. That, but then also, I think it's also, they're, they're considering it now. It's like, okay, great, you know, I can't come here like how I used to and sit down and have a glass of wine and, you know, order yeah. the eggplant. But, you know, on, on a slightly more, you know, special occasion or, a, you know, when they have a little bit more time, they'll consider us as a dining option. You know, so for me, it's, you know, it's... You can't, if, if, even if I opened day one as a, a degustation menu restaurant, mm. I'd still have I'd, I'd still encounter the same problems, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, and you know, if all of a sudden I turned from a tasting menu to an a la carte restaurant, I'd encounter the same problems as well because they'd be like, "Oh, we used to like your tasting menu," yeah. you know, like so you can't win them all. Yeah. I, I think that's what's happened. Like, hospitality has been very hospitable over the years, and we've tried to cover all bases. Get, yeah, obvious, right? Um, cover all bases, give everyone what they want and to any request. And I think what I like about COVID, the small bits I like about it, is that we've decided that we're going to dictate terms a bit more. Yeah. Um, so whether it's you know taking payment before booking, which yeah, sh correct. just should have been done for so But it's so all many these years. things, right? You know, like you, you can accept that you you pay for a flight before you go, right? Yeah. You can also accept that if you're 10 minutes late to the boarding gate, you miss the flight, yeah. right? Despite paying for this. You know what I mean? Like you can accept the fact that once the movie's finished, you leave the <laughs> cinema. You know what I mean? Like all these, all these things you can accept in, you know, an other kind of service, yeah. experiential, oh. you know, industries. But then when people come to restaurants or cafes, they think that, oh, what do you mean? I'm, I'm paying for yeah, the $35 yeah. dish that you put out. Why can't I stay for three hours? Yeah. It's like, 
I don't I, know, mate. <laughs> I, love, I love comparing hospitality <laughs> to the airline yeah. industry because you're like, what if we like overbooked the restaurant and someone wrote up like, sorry, we're overbooked. We thought someone would cancel. Like, which is, would be a legitimate thing to do with the amount of cancellations you get. Imagine, imagine we did that. We'd be fucking uproar. Yeah. Like, yeah it'd be correct, wild. You know, and, like, and that's exactly it, you know? Yeah, so. Even you charged more for the best seats. Yeah. Like, imagine you did that as oh, a restaurant. How good at that? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. I mean, not, not the Kavar, we had the best seats. It was like, you could watch Kira Street and watch some drunk people go by or you can uh, <laughs> sit near the bar. That's it. Yeah. Very much an option. Um, let's change direction a little bit because, you know, there's so much we can be talking about in a short amount of time, Victor. But um, I think like, coming through in everything we read or hear um, when you sort of participate in the media is is culture, is that 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 line because it's not like i mean it's evident here you you openly ho fuck to go back to your your roots mm. and 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 do what you wanted to do a move away from the fine dining world that that you were in but did you always have a a really deep interest in both culture in general and and your own heritage and your own culture yeah look you know when when i first openly ho fuck it was it was just to kind of have a bit of creative expression on, you know, a style of restaurant that I wanted to open. You know, I was 27 at the time, mm. um, you know, and where you are eight years ago is completely different to what you kind of, you know, are today. Um, and yeah, it was, it was great fun because I, I wanted to kind of be really creative and, and kind of strip back the, the formalities of, you know, my, my kind of training and, and explore a little bit of like cultural heritage that I felt like I missed out doing, you know, when I was kind of in my early teens and kind mm. of early 20s as well, you know. Um, so kind of revisiting the idea of what Chinese food is and where it sits in this Australian kind of, you know, cultural scene, right? Like food, mm. art, you know, city, whatever it was, right? And, you know, having the opportunity to open it on Smith Street in Collingwood in Melbourne, which is kind of like... It's like King Street, Newtown, right? You know, it's mm. got, you know, something for everyone. You know, it's, it's got very established, loca- uh, you know, businesses and kind of really new, you know, it's not really a, a, a morning scene because, you know, everyone's just out drinking and partying and eating mm. and having a great time and it's not far from the city. So, you know, being kind of immersed in that in the first couple of years was really kind of cool because it was, and then from there, you know, other kind of more, established businesses kind of established around that time which is with like Morgan from Bells moved around the corner you know Cutler was always there you know um, the Builders Arms was kind of developing you know um, now it's even more vibrant so it was it was really cool and and a big part of yeah building Lihafuk as a a brand a restaurant um, a project for myself was to you know explore like a cultural heritage and the the food of you know of of China and where it is in kind of an Australian lens, mm. you know, and I think as that's developed, um, you know, it, it's everything helps you kind of dictate, you know, where, where to go. I think it's the customer, it's the staff, it's, you know, the influences and the inspirations that, you know, kind of come to me. And yeah, I think we've arrived here um, in a quite an organic manner, you know mm. what I mean? So, mm. but was, it, was it something you always envisioned doing or was it almost a sort of backlash to? the kind of French European centric fine dining restaurants you were working in. Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because when I first started cooking it was all about like, hey, just build your C V. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I made a decision to 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 cook fine dining and I, I you know, did a bit of a research and 
the restaurants I wanted to cook in and, and you know, ended up at Mark. And that was really appealing because it was a small team, you know, owner operated mm. um, and just good timing. He, you know, he got all the accolades when I kind of joined. So I got, you know, almost the, the peak you know the start of like the peak yeah, period yeah. of you know um, best Mark Best's kind of yeah. you know um, awesome team. time there. Yeah, there and yeah, it was awesome. Well. And so and from that, you know, I, I I made a you go through a little bit of a soul searching process after you get all the you, what you consider you get all the skills from you know one place and and I felt that I needed to to yeah explore the idea of cooking Asian food because I haven't you know up to that point. Mm. So where did you where did you start like you know as you said like you hadn't been cooking asian food like have you always read read books have you always studied studied history yeah i think i was always a you know avid reader and yeah. studying history of you know all sorts of things and i think like food food history is naturally going to be interesting mm-hmm. right but i think timing i was very lucky with timing and also sydney was very lucky to have um, Dan Hong, you know, who mm. was the guy that, mm. you know, I think once if once everything is, the the importance of Dan Hong is probably understated at the moment. I think as in in a generation and a half time, you, everyone will realize how influential he is, you know, and and the amount of kind of work that he's done to kind of you know for for chefs like me to to have the things I have, you know what mm. I mean? Like, um, so yeah, I think the st- first step was I, I worked for for Dan, and we we all worked together at Miss G's. Um, planning to open Mr. Wong's and I remember going into that kitchen and everyone was of Asian descent everybody yeah, well. you know what I mean and everyone was around my age everyone had um, previous Eurocentric fine dining experience mm. except for one or two um, but everyone was like just keen to learn um, and obviously when you work in a kitchen like that you, you, you know in any kitchen really you learn the food of the chef mm. and while you're doing that you still learn from the guy that's left of you right of you above you below yeah. you right and you know having you know uh, young Vietnamese Australian chefs you know young Thai chefs you know Filipino you know Zhao the head chef was Taiwanese Hongis you know uh, Vietnamese um, Australian and you just get this huge yeah, it must be quite know, a like absorption of, of everyone's kind of creative angst and like you know like experience with that their style of food, you know, and and it shows through all the times that you have an opportunity to be creative, which is first up staff meals. So you eat amazing staff mm, meals, sure. you know what I mean? And everyone, because everyone's like at the time, I was probably twenty five, twenty six, you know what I mean? And everyone had a lot of energy, and you know, to go out and eat eat out, and we talk just food, and it was really cool to see you know, that there was a whole almost generation of chefs exactly like me, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Asian, Australian, and kind of at the crossroad of do I keep going down the path of cooking at, you know, like a two-hat French place, or mm. do I, you know, have a dabble and, and have a look at what's what's happening with, you know, culture within them, an identity within themselves. So, um, yeah, it was really kind of formative time, and I feel that that's, that was a very lucky time that, you know, I joined mm. a, a team yeah. of people. And they've all gone on and, and you know, heading their own, um, you know, projects. And you could tell they, could, they were, you know what I mean? Because they were all that really kind of just rearing to, to just get their teeth into something, you know, creative and, and you know, have, have their own mm. um, time to express themselves, you know? I guess it's been, you, you, that's it's such a, that happens in, you know, traditional European-based restaurants is you have those great restaurants, a great chef, people get drawn to it and then they go off 
an open either clones or their other things. So yep. I, mean, I guess like having Dan Hong in that restaurant and having that Asian contingent in the kitchen kind of is the genesis of of the way you know dining is being shaped in in Sydney and Melbourne at the moment. Yeah, correct. But then it's kind of like in I I I feel that in like the Euro centric European kind of model that like you said they either go off and go back to their hometowns and do something within mm. their own kind of identity or they open like a clone right you yeah, know what I mean yeah. like and we all know that you know two star you know cauliflower puree seed scallop place that is anywhere <laughs> right you know you just sit in that restaurant and you could be like I could be anywhere you know what I mean and there's like that I'm not saying it's a bad thing there's definitely a place in the market for that restaurant but it's interesting to have that in like a, an Australian Asian context because yeah. then, you know, um, there'd be a new wave of like Thai style restaurants, you know, activations, Malaysian Chinese, you know, new Chinese, you know, like um, Southeast Asian. And it just goes on and on. And it, I think it adds to the colorful fabric of the, you know, the dining scene of mm. Australia. You know what I mean? Not just like, you know, one city. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Does it... Were you part of the opening team, at Mr. Wong? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How, because like you, you go from Mark to Miss G's to Mr. Wong, two relatively small places to a pretty bloody Fucking big beam. place. Yeah. yeah. What like what what was the what was adapting to the volume like, and did it? I've never worked at such a high volume restaurant. So I'm just interested to know what team dynamics are like in a really high volume place and also where and how you get the opportunity to inject your creativity into the, into the, into the food or, you know, share some ideas and collaborate with the head chef um, and stuff. Like what's the dynamic like, especially after having left two, two smaller venues? I think, you know, it's, it's all about the team, right? You know, the, yeah. the opening team of Mr. Wong's was amazing. You know, and a big part of it was from the incubator that was Miss G's when they mm. were collecting everybody to, to kind of see how where everyone would fit and, um, and the timing was probably right. You know what I mean? Like in in Sydney at the time to have, you know, um, a, a large kitchen and a large you know Asian centric team. You know what I mean? Like you got to think before that it was. If you were English speaking, wanted to cook Asian food or Chinese food in particular, mm. it's Billy Kwong and that's it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like honestly, if you're built CV building, that's mm. that's it, right? And that's that back then that was on the Crown Street location. Yeah. It was tiny, right? They would only let four people in there. Yeah. So to have the opportunity to to explore Chinese food where the kitchen team would you know communicate you to you in English was a very very small market. Mm. But now obviously it's well, you know there's we've sort of spoken up before about how the acceptance of Asian food being more than just your local your local Chinese and becoming something that is 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 more refined and finer. It's been a fairly recent uptake um, around the Western world, I guess. Um, so it's just got something that um, it's taken a little while. So like you said, with timing, it must just hit the right the yeah, right yeah, space correct. where people do, are do ready any, to accept Do you have that. any thoughts on why? that was the case like maybe we can explore a little bit about mm. why for the longest time chinese food in particular was you know bowling clubs to a lot of people or you know local shops and things like that and then you know as you said billy kwong was your only option in sydney and then obviously down here you've got flower drum and 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 others yeah but i think yeah i don't know i think it's because everyone has got a relationship with chinese food right mm. it, be it um, you know, your suburb, local suburban Chinese restaurant, you know, your local country town Chinese restaurant. Um, everyone's got their, 
you know, especially, you know, it's like the second oldest culture, you know, migrant culture, you know, very large hubs and, you know, uh, established diaspora of, you know what I mean? So everyone's got their own relationship to Chinese food and it's never been, unless you, you only eat at the flower drum, you know, you would never, you'd, you'd, you'd have a, um, a relationship or a preconceived idea of what this cuisine is, right? Um, and, and from that. So mm. it's, and for years it was, you know, sweet and sour pork and, you know, the satay beef and, um, and people enjoyed it because it was still, you know, different enough to the day to day, but they still had a, they, they had a pretty clear established idea of what that was. So for, to come into, you know, to enter the market and ask people to pay, you know, up to four times more what the entry level price is, mm. is, you yeah. know, like, um, yeah, the value be, yeah, that's the value proposition, mm. you know, for that type of cuisine. You need to be delivering something a little bit more than just what's on the plate. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think, um, and Mr. Wong's perfect for that because yeah. it's just big, you know, massive, you know, designed, you know, like kind of escape reality little world of a restaurant. I guess the the, the dining room and the experience there adds value. Yeah, correct. To correct that as well. Correct. So maybe that was an, an easing point for people to go, oh, I don't mind spending, you know, 25 bucks on my fried rice there yep. because look where we're sitting. Mm. So I guess it kind of took that, that little nudge of that extra, extra value add for a lot of people to, to kind of to want to spend that much money. Mm. But it's, it's, do, you find, do you think that's a little sad in a way, though, that like, I mean, it, this runs parallel with all sorts of things because you pay for the whole experience mm. and things like that. But like, you know, it takes, it takes Maryvale and the 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 grandiosity and yeah. the styling and the attention to detail at every turn to create an establishment like Mr. Wong to to elevate the status of mm. Chinese food. Yeah, but I think that's it's it's a tricky one. I think it's it's definitely it's definitely that, right? Like you can see the value once you go into the mm. place, yeah. right, and experience it. But you know, I think a big thing that people don't realize is China's kind of interaction with the the rest of the world via the internet is it's like a it's like a wall right so you they can no one can see in or out so yeah. you don't know what's developing in china at the moment because there isn't you know it's not flooding your feed mm. you know via social media and but it's still you know kind of incubating a, a large you know part of the world's population on you know, the, the, their own style. And, and, you know, it's still business as usual in, you know, cities like Guangzhou, Beijing, Shanghai. And I think in the West, because there isn't that kind of back and forth with a communication of development of design and style and, and culture, right, in kind of an artistic sense, you're, you're, you're stuck in like a, a weird time gap. You know what I mean? So like if you open a Chinese restaurant yeah, now, like everyone's designer would just be like chinoiserie, you know, like red lanterns, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um, pagodas, you know mm. what I mean? Silk, gold, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But then you go to, like said, the, the hottest new restaurant that's open in Shanghai now, it just looks like a really sick modern restaurant, you know, yeah, not yeah. like some kind of 1950s throwback, you know, yeah, reimagines, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah, so we're sort of seeing I think a, a historic view of, yeah, of what and people yeah, think correct. China I think is. everyone's stuck in like the 1950s yeah. idea of, you know, 1920s Shanghai which yeah. is like you go that's 100 years old right imagine <laughs> yeah, yeah. imagine if you opened a, a modern Italian restaurant and you're like yeah, stuck in the concept like, of like you know yeah, 1918 like you know <laughs> maples I mean, it's I mean, like what's wrong with you yeah. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you, you can still find them 
Yeah, you can. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, but then, you know, the, the first thing they'll say is like, this thing's a little bit Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And, but then you wouldn't have that if it was, you know. Mm. And that, that's accepted. funny, that, right? And I, it's, I feel it's because there's like a bubble of, you know, like life online yeah. in, in China that's not being created, like not being communicated out into the West. Yeah. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. Ne- never thought of it from that kind of lens. Um, because honestly, like, you, did you know there's a like a, a Michelin guide for Guangzhou? And yeah, it's yeah, sick, right? Yeah, that's but then, if you try and Google it, like, the only <laughs> you get one page in, and it's you can just get the information from the guide website, right? Yeah, so yeah. There isn't else. there isn't like you know, say f- for example, if you if you Google like you know Li He Fook and Mr Wong's, there's like a million images yeah. from all the diners and stuff yeah. because it's out there. But then there's because yeah, China's internet's like an intranet. It's yeah, like, you know, yeah. it's like a little walled pond. Mm. It doesn't yeah, really proliferate out. You know what I mean? So mm. I'm going to just like think out loud for a second, though. Mm. Um, I guess like Australia is a European colonial country and Chinese migration started happening, I believe, like, you know, the largest peak of early Chinese migration happened in the gold rush. Um, and I don't know, considering it's a European colonial country, do you think that there's something about Chinese culture in Australia as compared to like European migration, which meant European migrants would more easily fit into the established dining culture, um, which was influenced is influenced by fine dining, France, you mm. know, and the rest of it. And Chinese migration sort of sits sits outside of that and was established, you know. In, like was established as as that cheaper, faster option, and just sitting outside it, which is sort of like there was this separation between European and Asian cuisine, like every step of the way. And it's not until more recently that there's been, you know, a coalescence of those two cultures at a at a higher level of dining. Yeah, look, like, I think it's always it. Yeah. Uh, it's always going to be Eurocentric because of just the, you know, the, the, the progression of history, right? Um, mm. And, you know, um, and off that, you know, I think the Chinese restaurants established was always going to be like the, the low barrier of entry type, you mm. know, hey, we'll just start a business and, you know what I mean? Like we'll cook stuff, you know, some things we're familiar mm. with, some things that the customers like, and then just trudge along and do that for, say, two generations. Mm. And then... I think we, in the last kind of thirty years, you'll you'll see the the kind of pro- proliferation of like a layered type of regional Chinese cuisine. Like I mm. remember when I, you know, like ni- early nineties when we migrated here, it was just Cantonese restaurants, you know, mm. and then it was then it started like Shanghainese restaurants, and then you had like soup dumplings, you know what I mean, and then and then from there you get you know the Sichuan, Hunan, you know what I mean, and and then you can now see there's specific regional Chinese restaurants like you would like an Italian restaurant you know mm. like when bef- like before the 90s it'd just be like um, an overarching Italian restaurant yeah, yeah. and they'd serve everything from pasta to pizza to whatever right and now you can really hone in on like hey you know this is a Sicilian restaurant they don't serve you know pizza and they yeah. don't you know use butter it's just olive oil you know we just and then you go to like hey this is a Milanese restaurant and they serve you know just that style of Italian food, which is very different to a Neop- you know, Neapolitan. Mm. And people understand that because, you know, I think, you know, it's and same with, 
I guess they're, they're the, probably the two best examples. Do, I can do you give. think people understand it though? Like, do you think Australians are good at understanding, you know, regional, regional cuisine, provincial cuisine? Especially Chinese. Yeah, it's tricky because they haven't traveled to these places, mm. you know, and mm. I feel that, you know, travel to Asia is more accessible for, like, you know, the Australian person, mm. right? So, like, having something like, say, Thai food and Northern Thai food, which is something that people understand now, right? So, like, Northern Thai food is going to be, you know, like, herb-heavy, acid, salt, you know, like, funky. People can understand that because they've been there. You know what I mean? So, I think it's that, that nuance. Like, it's, it's all about just the exposure to that, right? And I think, I feel it goes a little bit both ways. Like, we're, it's kind of fueled by, you know, say, the the region-specific diaspora moving to Australia and starting food businesses, but also the Chinese students that come from that region mm. seeking, you know, mm. certain flavor profiles they really enjoy. Mm. And so... University campuses are a place, great place to eat. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, <laughs> honestly, like, there's, there's a really great kind of grill place from where I used to live, and it's just full of, you know, Chinese students, Balenciaga, mm. and just eating, like, skewers. It's awesome yeah but i think it's there's that but then you know going back to the fine dining thing i guess it's it's the acceptance to, to eat what a what a country deems deems as a delicacy right you know what i mean like i think there's there's some good work done by you know kind of chinese chefs or chefs with chinese kind of heritage around the world in trying to put you know, like abalone up, you know, in the forefront mm. or, you know what I mean? Like certain things that we'd consider as a delicacy, but it's also, it doesn't work if you go, hey, look, I'm just going to cook, you know, sea cucumber and fish more. And then you come in and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it doesn't translate if you don't understand that this is, you know, of something of value. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm. totally. Do you think, where do you think food media comes into educating the public about culture because I just sort of had the thought then that when we're talking about people understanding regional cuisine, it's it usually well it seems to me and in some of the the first bits of understanding that I got is like when a fine dining establishment or a or a well respected chef or whatever it might be opens a region specific place mm. and the food media latches onto that yet. You know, you can already find great Sichuan places mm. in Chinatown, but it's not until someone, you know, at the caliber of yourself or... I specifically think about Josiah Lee in Canberra with Chairman and Yip Malame yep. and some of his other restaurants where he did Chinese food at a very high level and very regionally specific as well. And that's like that's what sort of educated the public in Canberra. They're like, okay, we're going to go to a Sichuan or a mm. Cantonese-specific place and stuff. But... Um, yeah, like it just, I, I guess like food media follows people with profile and, and follows a higher level of dining a lot of the time. And yeah, it sort of might well, take the influence there, of someone. There hasn't been Asian faces that media have been following and mm. until you know, fairly recently. Um, so I guess it's it comes down to yeah they, they put you know, like there's a lot of conversations now about representation in, yeah, in media and that's just important. Hundred percent. I think that's all it is. It's just the variety of voices, right? Mm. Like if you can get a big range of people talking about a big range of things, mm. it'll just kind of like naturally fall into you know if, because if you know for example it doesn't even have to be Chinese. If say you know if 
if you know southern Sangalese food is awesome mm. like guess what like it's going to be the next like yeah. it's it's you know all, all you got to do is point people to it mm. and you know like they'll vote with you know like the economics of patronage right? yeah you know so Far. have you have you seen what dan barber's doing at blue hill at stone barns with his like intern chefs yes that's amazing that stuff yeah and i think you know it's it's all that kind of stuff right it's just giving people opportunity mm. to to just have a crack at it right yeah. and and then the the right people have to be the gatekeeper you know i yeah, feel that yeah. that's that's the key or not even have a gatekeeper you know what i mean like um Mm. And yeah, and I think it's. Every, I think everyone who who can communicate anything to a big group of people or a small group of people has a responsibility of driving it a certain way, right? And I think the overall idea would be improving, you know, as opposed to to like in in the conservationist lens. You know what I mean? Especially mm. in a country like Australia, I feel like if everyone was slightly skewed towards being an innovator and less being you know a conservationist in terms of culture art and the ideal um, that'd be pretty cool mm. Mm. what with sort of all these um things in mind how did you go about um putting this restaurant together like how, how much thought process was to, to history to, to kind of innovation to, to you know, modernizing a concept um, like what, what kind of things did you do to research um, your heritage to, to kind of create this restaurant yeah I think look a big a big range of it comes from inspiration and trying to communicate sometimes even a flavor or dish forward you know into to fit within like the, the, the tasting menu at current but yeah um, the latest kind of place that I'm looking at is kind of Australian history. You know, what does an Australian Chinese experience feel mm. like? How does an, you know, like an Australian kind of producer or winemaker kind of story look like fit into a Chinese restaurant? You know, I've always lately I've, I've obsessed with the idea of not being a Chinese restaurant in Melbourne, but more like a Melbourne restaurant that serves Chinese food. Mm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and I feel like with that kind of lens, I bring a slightly more kind of inclusive uh, philosophy, you know, because then it means that, hey, you know, all you got to, all if, if you're, you know, Australia-centric, you know, producer, grower, whatever, yeah. then you already will have, you know, like I'll already look at you in, in terms of an area of exploration. Mm. So I'm not really that obsessed with trying to manipulate something that I think is cool or interesting in a Chinese context. I'd, I'd rather look at it in, a, in an Australian context and include you know, elements that I find interesting from Chinese cuisine or heritage or history. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like straight away, if you're in a different country doing a different country's food, your ingredients different. Yes. You know, how they're grown, the, you know, the, the climate, the soil, the temperature, especially Australia, when it's um, got quite unique soils um, and, and a fucking crazy climate at times. Mm. Um, so, I mean, straight away, you're going to be doing things a little bit different. Um, and that's always going to put your food in a sort of Australian context. Mm. Um. Oh, there's something that I wanted to ask before that I'll quickly go back to, mm. but like, and it's a part of what Simon's question was. But how did sort of moving away from what you learned, uh, Mr. Wong, and what you were doing with Dan Hong up there, um, you know, like, how did you avoid being labelled as like a Melbourne replica, essentially? Yeah, I think you know, Dan, the the food at Mr. Wong's is you know kind of like a rework classic or. Um, or almost identical classic just done with you know amazing produce and um slight refinement you know what i mean and it reflects in their style so you can 
I feel like that's slightly more traditional, you know, representation of what a Cantonese restaurant offering is. Mm. Um, but the style of food that we create here is more like taking elements of a dish and creating it in a certain in, in a style and context that would fit in what we're trying to express. So, you know, using flavor profiles and, and you know, not really exploring the idea of authenticity and making it kind of um, delicious in its own mm. setting. You know, I always think that, like, everyone's always obsessed with the idea of authenticity when I yeah. think it's bullshit, right? Like, you go to some regional areas and you taste the food and you go, yep, I get it. You're, this is where black vinegar's from, but do you have to put it on everything? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and just because you, you, you know, recreate that dish in its authentic state does not mean that the dish is balanced or good. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we always joke in the kitchen, like, do you want to make good food or you want to make authentic food, right? <laughs> yeah. and so it's, you know, and as a job of someone that can manipulate it to taste a certain way or better or in your you know what i mean like mm. it doesn't mean that i'm messing with it or i'm fusing it with anything i'm just trying to make it so that it fits in a setting that you know and especially like going back to your first question how much of the stuff do you consider everything so i consider how the customer would eat that how big the portion is what's the wine that they're going to drink with that and you know th and they're all things that we all think about and collectively as a team mm. um and that in itself is like an interesting exploration and exercise for us, but it's just part of the process that we, you know, create stuff here. Mm. How do you, how do you continue to find inspiration to continue to develop new dishes and and that that fit within the evolution of this restaurant? Well, I'm lucky because I've got a core team that's very good, right? And um, and they've they've all worked for me for a substantial amount of time to know the style that I'm after, and it's also they've got. Like I, I trust them to to present me ideas and concepts where mm. like uh, and sometimes it needs very little tweaking. Sometimes it needs like a lot of work. So that process is fun. So now it feels like I don't have to be this, you know, all encompassing kind of dictator of the style or you know what I mean? Like I've, I've got other lenses to look, yeah. uh, look at the food through, you know, so when, when you have sort of keen young chefs, they're really good because they'll be like you were sort of 10 years ago. They'll yep. be reading all the new books. They'll always be like, I just bought this from my, I didn't even realize that came out yet. Mm. Uh, they'll be on Instagram and they'll be coming with like the new techniques, the new plating. Yeah, correct. So it's good having those little kind of underlings who are just kind of constantly bringing you stuff. So you haven't got to quite stay so on top all the time. Mm. And then it is, you know, about helping them develop it and getting something that they've helped create on the plate which, I mean, keeps your staff very engaged. Yeah, look, it's a lot of that. But also, you know, because we're so process-driven with everything here, you know, in terms of how it looks, feels, tastes, where's it from, what's the reference, you mm -hmm. know, like we're always trying to, like, innovate on something that's older or newer or even, like, you know, having the restaurant for eight years, the repertoire is pretty big, right? Yeah. So, like, it could just be retweaking one thing or there's a lot of failures on the board as well. And, you know, like, there could be something that's popped up and they go, oh, this is the solution to fix that thing that you really like mm. but didn't quite work before. So it's, it's a lot of kind of loop back into that, you know, and exploring it that way is quite fun too because once that that little piece unlocks it unlocks another thing yeah. because like you know the, and because with with everything you can just take a note on everything now right so like my notes app is got it looks like I'm on crack yeah. right you know? yeah. and same with you <laughs> know the Evernote and you can share it with everybody yeah. you know what I mean like you can flag stuff on Instagram you know tell people to look in certain directions so there's a lot like there's a lot of just stuff in the yeah. ether floating around yeah. the, the hard part is trying to 
to focus the energy on creating and you know what I mean so yeah. mm. um, so we're not short of like where does where do all these ideas come from we're short of like where do we like slot things in, in and yeah. how much energy do you devote to one thing you know yeah yeah. and you, you go back to things like there's even some like failures that you can sometimes take yep. and you'd be like oh that didn't make what I wanted at the time but that might actually be cool there um, so that's just one thing I'm always trying to get onto young chefs like I kind of want you on your phone in the kitchen like mm. I want you taking notes I want you taking pictures I want you dictating to it like I want you on Instagram like finding out this stuff like I kind of want my young chefs to be on their phone in the kitchen yeah. which is kind of um, a bit of a stranger from the, from the older guard who'd mm. give you shit for having your phone out but it's really cool right like if if young chefs are sort of taking the initiative to, you know, plate things a different way or add, in, add ingredients or do some experimentation, like, in their break time and document that mm. stuff on their phone and, like, build that, you know, like, encyclopedia notebook of, of experience and little processes and things like that they've played yeah, with, it's... It, it shows they're the ones you kind of want because they're, they're, normally gonna be the they're guys going who, above and beyond. Yeah, really. They're the guys you can, you can sort of see, like, you'll be good in the future. Like, there is a balance. You get some chefs who that's all they want to do. Yeah, true. But I, don't want to cook. I feel like, you know, like creativity, you can train that, right? But a big part of it is telling people, no, that's not good enough. Or yeah. that doesn't work. Because, you know, like the last thing I want them to do is, you know, um, open their own restaurants and think that all their ideas are king shit, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. you want them to, to be like, actually, no. You yeah. know, and a, a few of those do, do doesn't hurt, you know, someone's yeah, yeah. creative process because, you know, they could fight my my judgment on that and mm. create something better mm. or just go back to the drawing board and tweak stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I feel that that's a huge part of the process. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of time what you take off your original idea from a dish is one of the most important decisions you, you make when you go, it doesn't need that. Or like, what is that doing? What's the function of that? that flavor on the plate like what's that adding to it mm -hmm. like a lot, lot of time young chefs chuck as much technique and stuff all right well like let's start wrapping it up and it was another thing that we were sort of talking a bit, a bit about before we started but you're exec chef across three venues chook is up in sydney you're here are you still like are you still on the pans a lot are you still in the i wish i could say i was eh yeah. you know like honestly this year is is the one that i haven't been um yeah. in the kitchen as much mm. um how's that yeah look i i think you're, you're not prepared to like just jump off it right you know mm. but unfortunately this year it's it's yeah there isn't just a, there isn't mm. a spot for me in the kitchen <laughs> you know what i mean like so it's um you do feel a little bit rusty when you have to jump back in there yeah yeah and it's i do really miss like the the style of work when you work in a kitchen because you know you're, you're focused on one task and you, you have to do it and it's quite physical because, mm. you know, could we say something as simple as like cutting carrots, right? Like everyone says cutting carrots, but when's the last time you cut a carrot? No one cuts carrots. You know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, yeah. Chopping. Yeah. Chopping, yeah. Chopping, <laughs> chopping onions. Like, man, I haven't cut an onion in ages. <laughs> but like, even when I was cooking, I haven't cut an onion in ages. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. But it's, well, it's always something like, you know, say, for example, filleting fish or doing mm. something like that you need a little bit of pace yeah, and yeah. a little bit of focus and you know it's just you the the clock and uh, the Simon was I bragging that, the other day yeah, about yeah. how what like, were you breaking down I had 12 barramundis for this yeah. event I did and they came in and I was like right I'm going to do them an hour so they were gutted and scaled I just took them down but I love that like Race, <laughs> racing yourself yeah, correct. like that repetition of like and even just being like oh these barriers like the rib cage coming up a bit higher like so next one I'll get up there oh that's much better that one like oh fuck I'm, like, I'm sure the fucking apprentice is that like <laughs> sorry I'm moving my mic around like, so yeah, yeah. Oh, so I really miss that right mm. you know that there's there's it's task oriented it's time there's time pressure um, 
I think my workday now is more like intellectual you know yeah, i've got to, yeah. you know like for example come up with uh, recipes to to train the staff tomorrow at marvel mm. um you know a communic a big part of it's communicating my actual ideas in and the nuances of the style of food that i want to do you know um to arrange a different personalities and you know temperaments and mm. you know conditions of work um and then i'm working on the floor a little bit here at leho Fook, you know because just want to learn it was the steepest learning curve and i thought you know what mm. it's something that has always given me like quite a lot of anxiety like facing the customer yeah yeah um and i just thought you know what I just, if i'm going to change it i want to be able to communicate why with you know what i mean mm. um so yeah it's been it's been good mm. like in, in in that setting um yeah. but it's also yeah it's challenging and it's a different kind yeah. of challenging I, fi- I find this like i like doing services now because it feels safe like, yeah, well, I think the kitchen's an easy place to yeah. run away to, right? But then when you're yeah. customer facing on the floor, you yeah. just have to sit there and well, like... I just I, I like it because like I'll spend the whole day on the phone or sending emails yeah. or writing notes or writing something to pin to the wall because the chefs have been fucking up something. And I'm like, right, it's going on the wall, like stick it up there. And then it gets to like five o'clock and I'm like, right, no one's going to email or call me now. Yeah. And I can just get back in the kitchen for a couple of hours and no one's going to fucking bother me except the customers. Yeah, I, I yeah, I will like, I mean, it's been a long time since I've actually been in the kitchen, but um, just just having a finite length of time it takes you to do something yeah, is, is really nice. Because <laughs> like, like, at the moment it's perpetual, right? Yeah, They're like, yeah. when are you going to send that cocktail recipe, Victor? When? And I'm yeah. like, at some stage this week and all of a sudden that gives me a timeline from now until midnight Sunday yeah right? totally you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, some stage this and week 11 yeah. and then all of a sudden yeah yeah and then all of a sudden like ah like yeah <laughs> where's that bloody margarita recipe yeah you know yeah. and all like when they call like when you know I'm on the phones and then like you stumble something you leave a note and you yeah. don't follow it up and then, I'm just constantly oh. apologizing to people yeah, <laughs> like, so yeah I think it's recipes off I'm like, I do miss that I miss that regimented you know that when to start when to finish and there's it's impossible for you to go past that mm. because otherwise it's you know doom and despair mm. Mm. it's an interesting like i don't know i feel like a lot of trades like have that sort of similar career path but i think that the change you know to go from an apprentice chef you know just just slogging it out you might be you know you might be picking herbs for a, a long time and then chopping onion you graduate to chopping onions <laughs> um, and then but then you sort Head of like doing it apparently you know, so. you, <laughs> but to go to a point where you then like you know, as a head chef, your hands are like in the kitchen, like, you know, making decisions, leading a team and stuff. But then, you know, opening your own venue or being an exec and then all of a sudden you're not in the kitchen anymore. You spent so much time in that place. Yeah, you do have like, I mean, 10, 15, 20 years of just like hard graft in the kitchen and quite quickly as you just take a next step, whether you're opening or you get an exec chef role suddenly you're expected to know how to do spreadsheets. Yeah, correct. And, and, and I think no, there no should be... And like, yeah, I, I wonder about that, right? You know, because I, I, I talk to a lot of other chefs that are in a similar situation mm. and it's, I think they always say it's the trickiest part because it feels like you should be mentored here again, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. To, to be no taught how to, you know, like um, segment your time a little bit. You know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of like, yeah. I feel like it, there's a lot of people in my situation but no one's taught us how to do any of this right so, yeah. but then if I sit there and I delegate it all to my 
current staff they're like probably a little bit overworked you know what i mean yeah, and then yeah. it's like well what am i doing then you know what i mean i could easily go hey you know my my ops manager hey give me the, yeah. the recipes for this send me the the workflow for that go to my my head chef and go hey you know dig up the recipes for this and then send it all to me in this email but i mean and just, then i'll just sh- you know as a chef you're just not used to doing that either no like, correct that's correct. not the way you work yeah, you want to do end to end right yeah like, where is that and then you like check it i think this is this recipe was too sweet last time let's drop yeah that. yeah you know like uh, yeah i mean uh, like where other businesses like you know people have pas and assistants and all these things and it is like you know whenever i go to like law, law firm and they're just like the, everything's on the secretary it's like can you just do all this shit for me and bring yeah, it to me yeah but and I'm, like, then I'm like oh that's imagine yeah, that. that that's good i think like, yeah <laughs> I, might, I might speak to a partner in the law firm how did you yeah yeah well i think <laughs> yeah. that's, that's kind of what i've been looking to is like um look into those industries and seeing how they work their time how they like plan like even like like how does this calendar app work mm. so i can keep track of stuff mm. like something i've been yeah really kind of looking to get better at is because again like i said no one teaches you it. Mm. Yeah, because otherwise what happens is then you start like just doing shit on your downtime right because yeah. you're like if you feel so guilty that you're not effective you yeah, know? yeah so you just sit there 100%. and go all right look you know I'll, I'll i'll do the i'll smash this out and you're like oh where did my day off go like yeah you know, yeah um well these deadlines i always like I'm sure other people let emails go for ages because like, yeah, I know I never replies, but I'm always like, oh shit, I've got to reply to that. Better do it. Like, oh, it's one thirty in the morning. Still, I'll just do it now. I'll just knock it out. I'll just get it done. Otherwise, it'll be late. Like I said, I'll email them. Like, you're always kind of, yeah, it's weird, like chef chef mode you get put in mm. after after 15 years of uh, regimented cooking. Mm. And then you get put out and you're like, I'm not a real human. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, um, let's wrap it up. Victor, is there anything else? Like, you sort of happy and optimistic about everything how everything's going at the moment like is there any new things coming up you want to make us aware of or any ideas that you've got that that, that you're looking to pursue no nothing i think it's um yeah just slowly rebuilding you know i think it'd be nice if everyone visited melbourne yeah you know, we're ready to have you i know and we're so yeah, happy we've, to we've been finally, pumping the yeah. stories on instagram we've been trying, trying to get, to get down Sydney here for people. so long like we have we've had two bo- two trips booked and cancelled mm. yeah and I think that's, so, that's probably what it is as well with in, ter- in terms of interstate travel there's a lot of people that have you know like kind of stung by the idea of like a cancelled mm. trip yeah. and it's yeah, not so yeah. much a monetary thing it's just like a, like a, the anguish and the heartbreak yeah. of yeah. like not being able to go <laughs> well, so even a couple of times where borders reopened people went and then borders closed and it was yeah, just going that's, right. like, that's still a bit of a worry like, but we're never fucking doing that again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think in the next couple of months I know we're Bangladesh so or targeting people from from Victoria coming mm. over as customers coming up. So I imagine it'll be the same uh, going this way. So it'll be a bit of a bit of exchange program. And there's some really cool stuff happening in Melbourne at the moment. Yeah, well, some I want to see more anchovy on toast in Sydney. We don't have enough of it. It's everywhere here. <laughs> it's true. It's so <laughs> We've had anchovy on toast at everywhere we've eaten so it's far. Delicious. It's, it's delicious. It's delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, so hopefully that can uh, come, come Sydney side. <laughs> we've got plenty. Get it at Bangalore next week. <laughs> yeah, I know. Put it on, mate. Put it on. Victor, mate, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to meet you, meet you and um, mm. it's fantastic being here in Melbourne. Everyone, come to Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. Come to Melbourne. And like, Good I mean, dinner. out of any state that needs support, it's Victoria, you yeah, know? like, 100%. and So yeah, come. Victor, thank you so much, no, mate. It's my great. pleasure. Thank you very much, Thanks, guys. mate. Cheers.
Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. 